0: This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Well, welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. From time to time, we like to visit with Christians around the world in order to find out what God is doing in different nations, in different cities, in different locations, uh, and in different cultures globally. Today we're going to uh, visit the central region of Africa, and because of the nature of both the work and the location and the circumstances under which our guest is operating, uh, I'm going to just call him Matthew, not his real name. Matthew is a DTS grad, and he is a church planter, uh, but with a very uh, unique, I would say, uh, calling to the people group and the situation in which he's uh, and his wife are attempting to plant churches. So, Matthew, welcome to the Table Podcast. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Bill. It's uh, good to talk with you.
2: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm very excited about this. It's it's a part of the world that uh, I mean, for most of us, certainly here in the West, probably gets very, very little thought, very, very little attention. Uh, in that sense, it's sort of an out of the way corner of the globe, but uh, uh as I understand it you're working with nomadic people groups, which means folks that have livestock that uh uh their their whole living their whole lifestyle is to uh- w- i don't want to say wander around but travel around to find uh suitable uh grazing suitable water suitable conditions for their their livestock is that is that general do i have that generally correct
1: yes um that's right so in in this region of africa there's just a lot of land which can't really be used for agriculture for farming and it's actually quite useful for migratory grazing Um, so it's seasonal it's periodic which means that again they can't graze their animals um, in the same fields all year long and so The people group is adapted to travel throughout the year Mm. um, on traditional migration routes with their herds. They have cattle or camels, sheep and goats, um, and they're seasonally looking for, you know, the fresh grass, um, available water supply. um, And they're moving uh, north, south, east, west throughout the year in order to to find that that. Good land for their animals.
2: Wow, was well, very very different context from uh, the urban life that so many of us, certainly here in the United States and the West in the developed world, uh, live in. I would certainly want to come back to this people group and hear much more about you know their lives and, the, and their conditions and so forth in your work. But I, I, I must ask. Uh, how did you get into this line of work? Did did, did you grow up in an, an agrarian family, or you know what what was it that attracted you to you know pursue uh, taking the gospel to, to to this particular people group?
1: Well, that's um, an interesting question, Bill, because um, you know, ironically, my training is as an electrical engineer, huh. um, wow. and there's Uh, No correlation between the work I was doing as an electrical engineer and uh, working among a nomadic people group. But um, it was early on that the Lord really impressed upon my heart the need to take the gospel to the remaining people groups in the world who have no access to the gospel. There's no Christian witness among them. Hmm. And among those remaining unreached people groups, um, the nomadic peoples are just least likely to have gospel workers sent to them, mainly because they're in remote locations. Um, It's difficult to live where these nomadic people are living. And um, I was just thinking primarily about Lord, who would you send? If it's not me, who else would be uh, willing to go to these places? And I really wanted to surrender my, my life for the greatest leverage in the kingdom and being able to go someplace that, you know, may be a, a significant obstacle to many people who who want to um, plant churches, but the specific location might be an obstacle to them. I wanted to fill the gap. Hmm. And so that's uh, really the beginning of my calling to nomadic people group. And the Lord um, began to uh, grow that vision, uh, in my wife as well, um, as we got married and began to, um, seek the Lord about where he would have us. And so, yeah, it, it's not about training. It's not about, uh, you know, skills or qualifications really. Uh, it was the Lord really pressing on my heart, um, to stand in the gap where there was a clear need for someone to take the gospel.
2: Yes, and you and your wife uh, have kids as well, and I I'm fortunate enough to know your wife, uh, and I know she's adventurous, which helps. <laughs> so, uh, you know, how how is that to to be raise literally raising your family uh, in the midst of doing this work? Um, you know, is that uh, yeah? I, I guess that creates its own challenges, or I don't know. Maybe your kids are excited to be on this adventure with you
1: well bill we we do live in a very rural uh, undeveloped area of the world, and so there's just a lot of challenges that go along with um, you know setting up a home and a life um, and you know as parents, one of the biggest challenges, especially when you have young kids, is thinking about uh, health care mm. uh, thinking about you know, if my kid gets sick or there's an accident, um, are we going to be able to take care of them? So these are significant considerations uh, where we are. But on the other hand, our kids um, who are now nine, seven, and three years old, they love it. Hmm. They, they, they feel um, the sense of adventure, of exploration, um and and i would have to say that you know the the characteristics of the nomadic community um are being adapted by my uh by my kids um they love the autonomy they love the the mobility the the constant change in uh location and schedules and um so it, it's just it's just now becoming a part of of their development and their experience.
2: That's great. I guess too they get exposed to a lot of animals. <laughs> they do,
1: um, and you know they they learn some valuable lessons that way too.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Well, so um, this uh, these these nomadic people groups. If I understand correctly, this is this is a, a a way of life that literally goes back, I guess, millennia. In other words, the, the this is a in that part of the world, um, this way of of taking your animals to find pasture and so forth has been kind of uninterrupted for just time out of mind. Is that do I do I understand that correctly?
1: Yeah, that's that's right, Bill. Um, the the way of life that they currently practice uh, has not changed for hundreds of years. Mm. And they have traditional uh, routes that they follow. They have um, tribal wells that they return to every year. And the the resources that they have available to them um, are... Are really unchanged. Um, and we feel like as we are working among them, that we could we could almost imagine ourselves uh, living right alongside uh, the patriarchs, alongside Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Hmm. Um, apart from the occasional cell phone in someone's hand, there's almost nothing that gives away. That you know we're in the 21st century, wow. and it's just really incredible.
2: How, I'm I'm curious uh, what the effect of climate change, uh, and perhaps even uh, I, I don't know. I know urbanization in some areas has encroached upon natural resources, and particularly water usage and so forth. But um, are the are the nomads uh, affected by? Uh, any changes in the weather and the climate and so forth that have seemed to take place in the last hundred years?
1: Yeah. You know, as, as their way of life, they value the mobility and flexibility. Um, and so as, as grazing lands change with the climate, um, when there's a significant drought or a flood, they are able to adapt mm. and Um, they, they are affected, but because of their constant, uh, adaptive nature, it seems like their way of life and their livelihood, uh, is able to persist Mm -hmm. even through, um, bad years, even through, um, significant disruption, uh, they're able to spring back, um, with, you know, now they're experiencing uh, longer dry seasons and during the rains, uh, more flooding. And so it does affect their travel routes um, and it it affects where they can take their animals. But one of the most significant things that's facing them is as a growing population, um, the surrounding and integrated tribes in their land are wanting to farm more land. Mm. And of course, as more uh, people prepare, um, you know, the raw land for farming and uh, plant crops, there's less room for the nomads to graze their animals. And so there's, I would say, a a constantly increasing um, friction between the farmers, and the nomadic herders, hmm. um, and that uh, sometimes results in in violence, um, and it, it's a constant source of frustration on the nomads' part um, that the farmlands are. It, it seems like they're they're increasing every year, and that's just a result of population growth.
2: Well, I guess I would I would point out that we certainly had the similar, not not identical, but certainly a similar situation. In North America, as the settlers, you know, continued to move western into the first the 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 plain states, and then ultimately toward the west, and meanwhile you have the native peoples who are, you know, living off of buffalo and antelope and and somewhat nomadic. Uh, some of those tribes, um, and of course, we know the friction that happened there. So I I, I guess we can, to some extent, relate to that. So. How do you, first of all as a as a westerner, as an American or as Americans, um, and also as as you know people I mean you you live in a village but it, but at least it is a village even if it's rural. How do you even approach uh, how, how would you go about how do you go about approaching nomads and even uh, building some rapport, some trust, some, uh, so relational capital to, to, at some point, begin to uh, introduce spiritual conversations and ultimately the gospel. Uh, walk us through that. Sounds like a, a real challenge.
1: Yeah, it, it is significant um, for a number of reasons. Um, they are a very isolated group, and um, that's by choice they are um, suspicious of any outsiders, anyone who is not nomadic and not part of their clan. Hmm. And so gaining access to them is a slow process. Um, And this is true with nomads around the world. Um, In general, um, they would prefer to keep to themselves and are suspicious of outsiders. So building that relationship uh, takes time. Uh, we started out asking, uh, we, we did just kind of a general surveys. We went out to where they were gathering and said, you know, we would love to help you. We feel God wants us here to be a blessing to you. Hmm. What would you say your top five needs are? Um, if you could, uh, you know, if you could wave a magic wand to change your life, what things would you change? And um, so they talked about uh, health care, education. Um, they talked about access to water. They talked about their migration routes being protected. And they talked about the health of their animals. And so we looked at those five things and we began to pray and we said, God, show us how we can make an impact in one or more of these things. And um, the people that, that God brought to us um, were just the right people to be able to begin um, healthcare trainings, uh, to provide uh, medical care, to provide um, birth and delivery care for women and to provide some water development using uh locally resourced technology. And so it's it's beginning in those service ways to meet their needs that they that they began to welcome us and began to accept us. And that slowly uh was the avenue for building relationships.
2: That's such a fascinating list that you just gave, Matthew. Um, because, you know, I, I, I look my way down through that. These, these are human beings that have uh, concerns and needs so identical to what I think any of us anywhere in the world would want. Health, uh, education, certainly for our children. Um, you mentioned water, but obviously that, the broader context of that our, our uh, you know, uh, material needs are met. Uh, you know, protection, you said of the routes, but, you know, the, the whole don't cut off our means of livelihood, economic mm-hmm. needs, which leads into the animals, which is their property. Um, I mean, for these folks, their bank account is in those animals. Uh, and and yes. so as they protect the animals, they're literally protecting their their assets. Um, and and these are the kinds of things humans globally, I, I think, would, would – uh, you know, care about, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to sort of see these folks as, as yes, a very different lifestyle, but fundamentally uh, so much in common with anyone, anywhere. Now, when you say you took this survey, uh, did you have to work through translators, or, or di- have you learned their language, or both, or?
1: Yeah, at the time that we started the surveys, um, I had already uh, spent two years uh, learning the language. How was that?
2: Was that difficult?
1: yes it, it is difficult there's uh very few resources um in terms of written material um, to use and so it's a um we we, we call it a, a learner uh directed approach which means that myself as a learner i go out into the community find uh speakers of the language and i uh engage them in certain activities which slowly build up my vocabulary and my understanding of how to communicate. Uh, and so yeah, it's it's a process. It took about two years to get to just a kind of a conversational level. Hmm. Um, by, by no means a, a professional um level, but a conversational level. And uh that's where we were able to begin actually interacting with the, the nomads um you know face to face
2: did these folks uh, did did they get a kick out of out of you trying to learn their language did that was that somewhat humorous to them or, you know, or 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 maybe they were just amazed that anybody would want to come learn their language
1: um yeah they they're actually very welcoming and uh I, I think we're very proud of the fact that um you know, they were able to teach me something about themselves, about, you know, their culture, um, part of who they are. And the fact that I was really interested and eager to be able to uh, learn it and and to learn it well, Mm. Um, you know, the fact that I I would say, no, I don't think I'm saying it right. Please help me pronounce this better. Um, They could tell that you know, this was more than, for me, more than just a, um, you know, a practical exercise. I really wanted to, I wanted to honor who they were, honor their culture, Mm -hmm. and um, be able to interact with them in a respectful way.
2: Now, you mentioned that uh, there were not Hardly any written resources to help you in learning the language. and I'm assuming that this is in part because uh, this this particular language and these folks um, this is not a this is not a written language to begin with that this is an orality culture is that correct?
1: yeah, so generally speaking, this is um, a dialect, a specific dialect of a broader language group. Um, and so it is well known across the region, but the local dialect is very unique. And at the time that my wife and I started working with them, um, there was ongoing language development work, um, but the resources hadn't been completed yet. Um, there weren't, you know, language uh, schools or programs like that. Um, at the time, they were still actually working on translation uh, for the New Testament in the language, okay. and so it wasn't until uh, a couple years in that we even had, you know, a, a published book, the New Testament, that we could use to begin building um, our vocabulary and begin actually sharing uh, from Scripture with people.
2: But uh, do these folks read? I mean, are they literate?
1: So, they aren't, and in fact, most of them have never been to any schooling, and that's uh, why education is a priority for them. They see that, they see that the people around them that live in villages and towns are advancing, and they are. Um, the gap between them and and the people around them is growing. And so they see that education uh, is a necessary part to keep up with the development. Um, and it's difficult because, you know, schools are uh, in a building which is stuck to a specific location.
2: That's got to be scary. And, <laughs>
1: and they have to you know, their family has to continue moving throughout the year covering, um, sometimes 300 miles. Mm. And so it's not very practical for them to stay close to a school where their children can receive an education. Um, and so most of them have never learned to read and write, um, uh, most of them can't even recognize their own name if it is written out. And so, yeah, we were uh, able to begin very basic things like um, introduction to to writing, uh, introduction to letters, and recognizing their own name when they see it written down. Um, and so that just gave them a boost of confidence for specifically for the adults that yeah, we can learn this, and it will help us. And then, of course, they, they were very eager to have their children um, begin learning how to read as well.
2: Are the adults concerned that, gee, if, if we and our children and our grandchildren all start to get educated, that's going to substantially change our life and and uh, uh, you know, the old ways, as it were? I
1: don't get a sense that education is in opposition to their way of life. Mm. Um, it is true that sometimes uh, when the young people receive further education, they see more opportunity in a different way of life. Um, so they they might discover that they can get employment um, and make more money or or be able to travel or buy nice things that they wouldn't have had if they continue the nomadic lifestyle of, um, taking care of their animals. Right. Um, and it's true that a lot of nomadic tribes around the world have been, um, slowly, uh, declining or integrating into more, um, settled cultures. But, um, I think this is actually a a problem uh, for my personal opinion is that we need to seek to honor their culture and not apply pressure to them to change their culture. um, Unless, unless that's something that they're desiring that's coming from within their own culture to, to change their way of life. And so Coming in, we've been very in- intentional about um, respecting their culture, about, um, I want to say, affirming their way of life to them to say, God has created you for this place and this time. He has put you here, as it says in Acts. Mm-hmm that God has put you in this place to live in this way, and it reflects His glory. You can do this um, in a way that is pleasing to God. Um, And so we, we wanted to be very careful not to say that they needed to become either like the tribes around them who were farming or like us as Westerners who were you know, totally different, Mm -hmm. Um, but to say that we believe God wants to bless you in the way that you're living now, in this lifestyle. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast.
0: I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question.
2: and you know his purposes for them. Um, what what is the existing um, perception of God uh, and and the spiritual condition? I guess I would ask, um, and the and the belief system for most of these folks.
1: Well, across this region of Africa, Islam is the dominant religion. Um, The form of Islam that's practiced in this area is highly syncretistic. It's um, what has often been referred to as folk Islam. It incorporates uh, a lot of traditional uh, animistic and spiritual beliefs um, kind of under a layer of this um, religious um, framework. Mm -hmm. And so... For them, they they are often um, not as concerned with uh, the theological framework or doctrinal statements of formal uh, religion. They are mostly concerned with how how is this religion? How is this way of practicing? faith in God going to help me in my daily life. Um, And so they want to know how, how their religion can keep them healthy, how it can be a blessing to their family and their animals, how it can secure their future, and... How it can protect them, and so a lot of traditional practices uh, have been incorporated uh, with with I would say you know an Islamic flavor or um, yeah uh, an approach that that uses the um. The tenets of Islam to to have power and control over their daily lives, including over, um, you know, spirits, um, curses and to acquire blessing um, at things like uh, the birth of a baby. Mm -hmm. And so these are ways that they interact through their faith.
2: Something tells me that uh, Genesis uh, 13 through 50 uh, factors heavily in the the material from from biblical texts that you're able to incorporate in your work with them.
1: Absolutely. The stories from Genesis are scenarios that these nomadic people experience on a regular basis now. Um, and so when we, when we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, almost everybody that we speak to can relate to them, um, in in, in exactly the same ways, even, um, in terms of, you know, looking for a, a bride for their son, um, and having disputes over a well that was dug and, Traveling from um, from one land to another, and and having to uh, stay either uh, at a distance from the the settled people that are in that land, and there's so many things that they can relate to it in those uh, in those stories.
2: Yeah, and what a what a wonderful thing I would guess to be able to you know, read that magnificent passage where God tells Abraham, um, you know, not only are you going to have a, a, a seed and a, an a inheritance, but through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And to say that includes you, you know, that God has done something through Abraham that is that is a blessing to you. Would you like to know more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, I, I love to, to point out to them because – they they are conditioned to to think that every outsider views nomadic people as as backwards as um you know just unable to to integrate with society and 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 develop and i like to point out to them look God often worked through and spoke to nomadic people. God honors and loves nomadic people. Scripture is full of nomadic people. And so, um there's no reason to feel like like second class citizens and there's no reason that you should be marginalized because of your lifestyle.
2: That's fantastic. And, and, and having said that, <clears throat> again, I, I sort of think of the degree of difficulty of, of establishing the gospel and planting churches among nomadic people. And and you've heard me say this before, but it to me, it feels like trying to plant a church in Grand Central Station. You've got people coming and going on a regular basis, and you just about the time you think you're making a beachhead of impact and, and, and starting to get some things going, I mean... You know, how, then then you wake up the next morning and they're they're leaving and and uh, so tell me what you've learned about that whole challenge and and what you're trying to do about it.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the misunderstandings I think that people have is that um, they view nomads as moving haphazardly or. Um, uh,
2: randomly random yeah
1: and and actually the the nomads travel in a very established patterns routes and seasons um and so they they travel as families um as as family groups and they continue to to camp at the same locations or graze their animals, the same locations year after year, generation after generation. Wow! And so we, we are able to, you know, you say it's like grand central station, but you know, there's people who go through there very uh, regularly, two times every day at the same same time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're there at the right time, you can, you know, Talk to them in the morning and talk to them in the evening. And that's how it is with nomads as well. Um, if we position ourselves at the right places uh, and we're ready, we can have repeated interactions with them um, at various places throughout the year. And that's how we can begin to uh, sow the seeds of the gospel uh, and and begin to spread truth. Mm. Now, as far as how is a church going to take root, um, this is another really important thing because they, they can't um, really embrace an idea that is going to remain foreign uh in its sedentary nature, and so it has to become nomadic with them. Mm. And so, as we we thought about this and strategized about this, you know, we were very careful of making sure that any any approach with the gospel would be able to be. Uh, nomadic in both the method we were using and in the product and in whatever form took place. Um, We did not want to have buildings. We didn't want to have um, outside uh, resources that they didn't have access to um, because then it would always be a foreign concept. Even if it was considered to be nice It would always be held just at arm's length or at one location. Hmm. We wanted it to be transportable. And so we we are praying for and envisioning a church forming in a nomad camp in in the way that the whole camp gathers uh, to read scripture, to apply it to their lives, and as they move, uh, the church is moving right. um, as just as uh, the Israelites did. They were intense and they they moved and they brought the tabernacle with them wherever they went. Um, that opportunity to walk with God and have him in the middle of the camp uh, is, is so available and real. That we should not get in the way by saying where's the building with four walls and the cross on the door?
2: Right. Well, yeah. Now you're into the Exodus experience, um, and the and the journey, the journey you know toward the Promised Land. It it, it kind of redefines this term of the Church on the move. Um, you, yeah. You got to make it transportable. That's beautiful. So. Uh, I'm just curious. We've talked about the nomadic peoples and your work with them. Um are are on a broader regional basis. I mean, I guess the question I'd ask is 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 the church uh are there Christians sort of on a broader regional basis uh indigenous uh, Christians there in that part of of Africa?
1: Yes, there are. Um and It's it's a very complicated um, history, a very complicated uh, social dynamic. In that, the there are many tribes uh, in this region, and the tribes that were historically animistic tribes um, have have been, um, have been evangelized and have had a gospel presence among them, uh, for many years. Um, and the tribes that have been, um, Islamicized since the, uh, Islamic conquest years, um, have not been. And so it's created this, uh, great rift, uh, between the the two, um, groups of, of tribes. And so the church has begun growing among, uh, the, the historically animistic tribal peoples. Um, but it has not been uh, growing or even engaging the tribes that have been, uh, Muslims. And so this has been, the case for about the last hundred years mm. in this region, um, and some of that actually was uh, due to uh, colonization and and a desire to to keep the peace, uh, and so it's just now um, quite quite literally in the last twenty five years that we are seeing a concerted effort uh, both from uh, local uh, churches and Christians, as well as uh, from uh, gospel workers from all around the world to bring the gospel message to these other tribes, these these tribes that have been uh, Muslims for hundreds of years now.
2: And is that being met with hostility or... Any or or on the opposite side with with interest and receptivity.
1: Um, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. Um, they have a long history of actually living side by side uh, without much interaction, and so now to begin changing that dynamic uh, does create some wrinkles in kind of the community, uh, in, you know, in the social fabric. And so, um, there's a, there's not an open hostility. Um, but at the same time, there are very deep underlying tensions, uh, between the, the differing tribes, um, in the two groups between the Muslim tribes and, and the animistic or Christian tribes,
3: mm.
1: and so that that is a significant uh, that's a significant obstacle that the local Christians have to overcome, and it takes perseverance, but most importantly, um, it really just takes relationship, mm. and, and it takes people crossing the line of seeing each other as you're from this tribe and I'm from a different tribe and just saying, you know what, you're actually my neighbor and I live next to you. Can we just talk? Mm. Um, and that's, that's kind of where, where it all begins is just getting these people to come face to face and talk as neighbors and, um, and not just see the, the general categories of their tribes.
2: Yeah. We've got a couple minutes left, Matthew. I, as we think about, and when I say we, I, I guess I'm particularly thinking of we who listen to this podcast, which tend to be in the West. Um, so, as we think about the church in that part of the world, there in the central region of Africa, what 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 sh- what could we what should we uh, as fellow believers be praying for our brothers and sisters in that part of the world?
1: I would love to be praying alongside of you guys, uh, for the church to conduct themselves in an honorable, um, respectful way in every community. Um, and, and that has been, and I believe will be the, the door opener, um, to, building meaningful interactions uh, and developing trust Um, it has to break down the stereotypes because uh, there are many um, and it takes it takes an established uh, witness in the community of living with integrity and compassion and generosity um for people to begin saying you know what this other group is not all bad they're not um you know hypocrites and drunks and um you know into loose living they're they're people who really love us and care for our needs so i would love to just be praying that the church would would be that model of Christ's love in the community, um, and then the the second thing is is just a love for the diversity that God has created. Mm. Being able to see people from different tribes and different languages through the perspective that that God sees them that these are all People made in His image, and we have to be willing to set aside our our own personal sensibilities and preferences to be able to, you know, step across the street and and extend a hand of friendship um, before we can even expect to have, you know, the gospel. Um, effectively uh, received. We have to be able to extend the hand of friendship. And I'm praying that that would be the characterization of the church in these areas.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us that insight, Matthew. And uh, we we certainly will also be praying for you and your wife as you continue this work with the nomadic peoples. And uh, thank you for your time today to kind of give us this snapshot of what's going on in that part of the world, Uh, again, that we often don't think that much about, but God is at work there, and uh, uh, you've given powerful testimony to what He's doing. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank
1: you, Bill, for inviting me. It's been a joy to be able to uh, chat together today, and um, yeah. Great. just pray that this will be a blessing to many people.
2: I know it will, and I want to thank you uh, who have listened in to this podcast today on The Table, and uh, invite you to uh, subscribe, whatever service that you're on, to listen to The Table Podcast, and we will look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, I'm Bill Hendricks. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas
1: Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.